23. Acts chapter 23. I would like to preach a message this morning titled, Be of Good Cheer. An interesting thing happened this morning is I went back into my office just to read a little bit in the Word of God and I went to the Psalms just for my own reading, really uh, unrelated to the message, I thought. And I read the psalm that we read together uh, during the song service. And I want to go back to that. I could not believe how much this psalm related to the message. But go back to that psalm, Psalm 4. And as you come down there to the end, it says in verse 6, There be many that say, Who will show us any good? Lord, lift lift thou up the light of thy countenance upon us. Thou hast put gladness in my heart, notice this, more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. What this is, is the Lord is the source of the gladness. The world relies on the things of the world. The corn and the wine and their circumstances. I really want us to think about this. This relates to the message today. Um, But he says, thou hast put gladness in my heart more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. I will both lay me down and notice this. In our message this morning, the Lord visits Paul in the night and comforts him and says, be of good cheer. Notice what David said. I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. Think about this psalm as we go to our our message this morning. And before I begin, before we go to Acts chapter 23 and read the passage, I want to begin this morning, I want to ask you, are you happy? Or do you have peace in your heart? Our world is filled with people who have anxiety. I thought as soon as pastor said the Sunday school lesson this morning, he said uh, for a lesson today, you know, it'll be lesson three on anxiety and I almost busted out laughing because it right in my introduction of my message, and now that's concerning being uh, a witness for the Lord. But do we not all, saved and lost alike, struggle with anxiety for a lot of different reasons? Paul dealt with anxiety in his ministry, and that's the Lord goes and comforts him. But um, in our society, our world is filled with people who have anxiety. Others who are depressed, and some are just despondent. People cannot be in a relationship often because they're constantly distraught. They're just unhappy. They're worried. Some cannot hold down a job because they are so emotionally wrecked. They cannot even feed themselves or provide a roof over their own head. When we were down in Colorado this last time, Rachel was relating how there's a person at work that there's more and more people, I won't get into too many details, there's more and more people who have to have time off for mental days. You used to call in because you were sick, but now the the state allows, it's like three weeks a year or something, that you can just say, I need a mental day. Yeah, in the state of Colorado, paid time off for mental day. Then you get two, two weeks off for sick time and all this. But our world, we live in the wealthiest, most prosperous world country in the world. And we're the possibly the most mentally sick country in the world. And so um, we have serious problem in our society. Just because our society is wealthy does not mean that it is happy. Our society is becoming incompetent 
at life can't function. Why do you think everybody's taking all the drugs they're taking? Because they can't go through life soberly. They need help. Um, we can joke around. We were in Colorado, me and Brother Roberts, you know, we started joking around about maybe people in this country just need to experience what people in Ukraine are going through right now. And maybe all their little problems and all their yeah. little worries wouldn't yeah. be such a big deal if you were hiding from bombs and bullets and trying to figure out how you're just going to live another right. day. But the reality is, I'm going to tell you right now that the reality is, is that the problem with man goes way beyond his circumstances. Yes. After the war is over and the people there go back to being a wealthy country, they're still going to be soul sick. And the next generation that comes along is still going to need God. And the real problem with our society and why they're so anxious and worried and, and distressed and, and they're miserable is because they do not have God in their life. They have no hope of eternity. They don't know where they're going when they die. The reason that they're stressing about dying in, and, um, and all of that is because there's no peace with the lost. Some of the people let circumstances of life be a determining factor of whether they will be joyful. Saved and lost alike are guilty of this. We as Christians too many times let our circumstances dictate whether or not we are having a good day or a bad day. How was your week last week? We often say, oh, it was horrible. It was so difficult. And it wasn't, it wasn't us. We, it doesn't have anything to do with spiritual things. It doesn't have anything to do with our walk in the Lord. We just go to what happened. Our circumstances dictate too much whether or not we are going to be happy. Now let me say, if you are unhappy, anxious, depressed, or despondent, I can relate. Okay? I, before I was saved, I've dealt with some things since I was saved. But before I was saved, I was in a state of despondence. I have been at times in my life before I was saved where there was no reason to get out of bed in the morning. I was in prison, but my circumstances had dictated to me such, to such a degree I was so depressed, there was no reason to get out of bed today. I'm going to do the same thing today that I did yesterday. I'm going to play Pinochle for money, and after lunch, I'm going to play Pinochle or spades or hearts. <laughs> and after dinner, I might go to the wreck area for an hour, and I might play handball. And then I'm going to repeat, and then I'm going to repeat, and I'm going to repeat. And that was my life for a while. And circumstance there was no joy there was no reason for living it was it was miserable and there are many ways in which the world the lost world how they're living and what they're going through is dictating whether or not they have a reason to live that's where we're at as lost people the theme of our message today is be of good cheer if you're if you've already gone to acts chapter 23 please stand with me as we read our main passage acts chapter 23 we'll just read two verses Verse 10 through 11. <clears throat> and when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take them by force from among them and to bring him into the castle. And the night following, notice how the Lord visited him in the night. The night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the opportunity we have to gather here. I just pray that you would use me to speak your word. Uh, pray that I would be filled with the Holy Ghost. I pray that those who are uh, listening 
would uh, be attentive to your word and pray that you be glorified in all is said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> By way of background here, um, when we consider, I want us to just consider Paul's life and where he is right now in his life. In 2 Corinthians, turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Let's look at a little background of Paul's life. Right now he's in prison. He's been arrested, and for his own protection, he's been hidden in the deep parts of the castle because uh, it was feared that he would be torn apart by the mob. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 24, he says, Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, saved one. So he was whipped by the Jews at different times, 39 times each time. Thrice I was beaten with rods. That would have been by the Romans. Uh, Once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. So in one of those shipwrecks, he he was hanging onto boards or something and trying to survive in the water for a day and a night. Uh, in journeys often, so he traveled all the time, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, so the Jews would be after him, in peril by the heathen, the heathen that he went to hated him and, and tried to kill him. He was in peril in the city, and if he went to the wilderness, he was in peril there, probably because of wildlife and different things, um, in perils in the sea. In perils among false brethren. These perils that he's talking about here cause stress. You have to be a zombie. (laughs) Not that they're real. But you have to be a zombie to not have real danger in your life and not there not be a side effect. It will what I mean is it will wear you down from a physical standpoint. And Paul is talking about all the things that he has been in, whether it was the the perils from false Christians, his false brethren, perils by his own countrymen whom he loved. All these perils that he's talking about are the dangers that he faced. And those dangers cause stress, and it can wear on you over time. He says in verse 27, in weariness. And in painfulness, in watchings often, not being able to sleep, staying awake. Think of the perils in the wilderness. When there's lions and bears and different things around, or you're watching out for people who are hunting you and you're hiding out. In hunger and in thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. He didn't always have the necessary clothing that he needed for the conditions that he was in. Besides those things that are without, so he says those are all the things that have happened to him. And he says, besides those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. There, is a, there was also a tax on his life, a tax on his physical well-being, his emotional state, because of all the responsibility. The emotional burdens and the spiritual burdens. He says, besides those things that are without, I have the responsibility of guiding and caring for all these churches that I've started and that I know of. Uh, think about like even the, the, the epistle that he wrote to, uh, uh, to the Colossians. He didn't even start that church, but he wrote an epistle to that church. 
And there were problems with like the church in Corinth and he had, it's stressful and it's hard to figure out how to deal with these people. And then over here to deal with this church and every church that he wrote to had something that he needed to deal with. And, uh, and so he says in 29, who is weak and I am not weak. Who is offended and I burn not. There isn't anybody in Paul's life that he could not say, I've experienced what you're going through. If it came to pain, if it came to weariness, if it came to emotional stress, all those things, he says, that's why he says here, who is weak and I'm not weak. (laughs) Physically, I'm weak. Who is offended and I burn not. So this letter that we're reading here in 2 Corinthians was actually written from Philippi. And he was yet going to be going to Corinth. From there, he began his return to Jerusalem, where we find him in our passage in Acts. So before he was in the castle, before God visited him this night, I mentioned this because he had experienced all that before he even got to the passage that we're reading about in Acts. He has yet, if you know the book of Acts, he has yet one more. He says, I've been shipwrecked three times. He's got one more on his list. He's not done being shipwrecked. And just the things that Paul went through, It is safe to say that Paul's body bore many scars. It would be a statement of fact to say that he probably suffered from arthritis and a lot of other things. Think about what athletes go through. They play football. If you're a running back, you have a short short playing life, right? And by the time you're 50, 60, it's hard to walk. You might have to get knee replacements and things like that. Well, imagine being a person who's just average stature, maybe even small, And you've been whipped as many times as he'd been whipped and beaten with rods and thrown in prison and all the stoned and left for dead. All those things. Imagine by this point in Paul's life, he's been in the ministry for a long time now. And at this point in his life, where he would have been from a physical standpoint, he probably had nerve damage in a couple areas. Travel would be getting more and more difficult. He did not get about by car or train like we do. When I'm done here today, as soon as the second service is over, I'm jumping on a plane. I'm going to be in Colorado, a thousand miles away. And I flew up here on, on a, what was that, Thursday night? <laughs> but, I mean, we have it so easy today. And you can be a traveling preacher, but Paul, in order for him to travel and do his ministry, it, he had to suffer peril. To do all these things. And it took a toll on his body. Keep all this in mind as we go through our message. Paul did not know. He would be incarcerated. For at least another two years. That's what ended up happening. And yet the Lord tells him here. Be of good cheer. You're going to testify of me in Rome. But let's turn over to Acts 24. The, just the next chapter over. Acts 24, and if we go down to verse 23, it says, And he commanded a centurion to keep Paul and to let him have liberty, and that he should forbid none of his acquaintances to minister or come unto him. So when it says he let him have liberty, it meant that, it didn't mean he got out. It meant that he was still incarcerated, but he could have people come to him. And after certain days, when Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, which was a Jewess, he sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. 
And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. He hoped also that money should have been given him of Paul, that he might loose him. Wherefore he sent for him the oftener. Notice how, just a little side note, notice how Felix said, Go thy way, and when I have a convenient season. How many convenient seasons did he have? It said he called when he realized, you know, he was trying to get money out of this situation. He called for Paul, it says, the more often. Paul had many more uh, times in front of him. And uh, notice this. And it says, and he communed with Paul. In verse 27, but after two years, Portus, Portius Festus came into Felix's room, and Felix, willing to show the Jews a pleasure, left Paul bound. And if we go back to our main verse, so we see here, the Lord shows up, stands next to Paul at night and says, be of good cheer, you're going to Rome. And yet if we read the, the account, two years later it says, he's pleased to leave him bound. <laughs> two years. Back then, fortunately Paul, it's a good thing for Paul that he was spiritually minded and he didn't rely on the fleshly things of the world to entertain him. But, you know, a prison today you have a TV and you can watch ESPN, and like I said, you can play your card games, and you can do your different things. Paul was serving the Lord. He was in ministry, and people came and saw him, but two years, he's used to, Paul is used to traveling. He's used to getting out there and going. He's used to starting churches. Think about how much he got done. And um, when you consider, when he went to Corinth, it says, and he stayed there a year and a half. And we think, man, he was there a long time. Because there were certain places where he would go and a church would be started like that and he'd be on to the next place. Paul was used to, his idea of serving God was going and doing and seeing churches established. And his life has come to a screeching halt. For two years, his ministry is all about, he's here and he's trying to help people by writing letters and he's trying to help people out there, but he can't go be with anybody. Think about how he could have been so discouraged in that. But at the beginning of this, it says, the following night, the Lord stood by him. What a comforting picture. Here Paul has been in a situation, it says the chief captain feared Paul would be pulled in pieces. That would indicate that he was already being assaulted, physically being tossed about. If, if a situation is so dire that the captain fears that you're going to be pulled in pieces. Paul was in the process of being assaulted and jerked here and there, and he was hated, and he was being physically assaulted, and he's rescued from that, and he's thrown in, into the castle. But what a comforting picture. The following night, the Lord stood by him. Paul, seemingly all alone, in some room deep in the castle to protect him from the mob that would tear him in pieces, not the Romans that wanted to tear him in pieces, but his own countrymen. He wanted to go to Jerusalem because of his great love for his own nation and his own people. And he wanted to be a witness and a testimony in Jerusalem, and his own people hated him. And here he is in the inner, inner part of the castle. When it says here, 
The following night, the Lord stood by him. We also have a comforter. The Lord does not come and physically stand by us. But did not Jesus say that when I go, I will send the comforter yes, and he will be with you and I, I will he will be with I will be with you and will be in you and so forth. And uh, the Lord does speak to us through his comforter. I don't have time through the comforter. I don't have time to go into that. But we are not left to ourselves in our Christian walk. In fact, the Lord, and I'll touch on this in a minute, but the Lord knows us so personally and so intimately that many times the Scripture says that the Holy Spirit prays for us. The things that we don't even know what we should pray, the Lord is praying for us. Contrast the appearances of the Lord to Paul. Just two appearances that I want to look at. The first was on the road to Damascus. Saul, the persecutor, the man that hated God, he said, I hated that way and I persecuted the church of God. And here was Saul, the persecutor, but the first time he met the Lord, he fell down trembling and he was blinded and said, Lord, what would you have me to do? The first encounter is frightful and convicting, causing repentance on the part of Saul. Isn't it that way with us when we're saved? We have a loving, we have a wonderful relationship with God. We know the Lord Jesus Christ is our Savior. We are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. But if you've been saved, and there was a time when you realized you were lost, it was a frightening situation, wasn't it? When you understood God for who He was, and you for who you were as a sinner. If you were saved, you know what I'm talking about. I don't have to go any further. But then when we see Jesus as the solution... When we see Jesus as our Savior, and then He is now ours and we are His. How different that relationship is now. And uh, the same Lord that Paul at one time hated is now the same Lord who appears next to him in a prison cell and is a comfort. Isn't it an amazing thing? Every single person who is ever born is an enmity with God. Everybody hates the Lord Jesus Christ. They, and it's not until they repent and trust Him and turn to Him and they see God enables us to see Him for who He is. And then it's wonderful who God is. The Lord stood by Him in a comforting, reassuring, in a loving way and said, Be of good cheer. The Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. He didn't just say, Be of good cheer. He said, Be of good cheer, Paul. He calls him by name. There is a per- very personal, intimate sense here I, want, I just want to touch on. To know the Lord is one thing. But perhaps a great or greater point is the fact that the Lord knows us. And He knows us personally, by name. Be of good cheer. How much better does He know us? We can take comfort in this fact right here. How much better does He know us than we know Him? 
Think about it. We're his. We're the sons of God. He knows that he knows the, the hairs on our head. He knows every single he knows every single thing about us. He knows of our spiritual needs. He knows he knows of our sins. He knows of our love for him. He knows everything about us. We, from the time we're saved, we're constantly learning and learning and learning more about him. And it's not until we get to glory that we're going to see him for who he really is. We can't really grasp that. So it is very comforting to me to know that the Lord Jesus Christ knows Austin Fulton. That's a comforting thing. And he comes to him and he says, Be of good cheer, Paul. For as thou, what is going to give him good cheer? He doesn't just stop. Be of good cheer, Paul. I'm here. I'm here. I'm with you. He doesn't stop there. What is going to give him good cheer? He goes on. He says, for as thou hast testified of me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. I want to pause here and ask this question. Christian. When you are struggling, physically, spiritually, emotionally, what will give you the greatest comfort and joy? And now let's look at Paul. The Lord comes to him and says, he's in prison. His life is turned upside down. He can't do what he used to do. And the Lord comes and says, be of good cheer. Notice what he, the Lord does not say. He does not say, be of good cheer, for you will get out of your bonds at this same time tomorrow. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say anything about anything that relates to the flesh. Anything that relates to his lifestyle. He says, be of good cheer, for you get to serve me. You get to be a testimony for me. In Rome... Your heart's desire is to go to Rome. You are going to get to go to Rome. Not to see the Colosseum or all these other things, but you get to go to Rome to be a testimony for me. Is that the kind of thing that will give you cheer? That will cause your heart to rejoice? Is to know that God's not done with you? What was bringing Paul cheer was knowing that God was not done with him. God had a purpose for him. Remember, he's still going to spend another two years in jail after, this, after the Lord visits him. But all during that two years, Paul did not have any doubts about whether or not he was going to Rome. He didn't know if he was going to get out before he went to Rome. He didn't know anything about the circumstances. He didn't know how long it was going to be before he got to Rome. But he did know this one thing. The Lord had stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul. You're going to testify of me in Rome as you've done here. And I think he also had this knowledge that he was going to be testifying of the Lord in Rome in bonds because he says, As you're doing it here, well, he was testifying of the Lord there in front of the leaders, in front of the every kind of leader that there was religious and secular Roman and Jew he got to testify of the Lord in front of all them in Jerusalem and so he's, when he says as you have here I believe Paul realized 
one of these days I'm going to end up testifying in front of Nero or the Lord's going to have me testify in front of leaders and kings, even in Rome. What joy it can bring a person. What joy it must have brought Paul to know that he had a purpose. The God of heaven is going to use me for his glory. God, the Lord said, you've testified of me in Jerusalem and you must testify of me or bear witness also in Rome. How this must have thrilled the heart of Paul. I want you to turn over to Romans chapter 1. The epistle that was written to the Romans was not written during the two years that he was in Jerusalem waiting to go to Rome. Now that he had word that you know, he for sure was going to go to Rome, then he didn't sit down and say, you know, I'm going to go ahead and write a, book, a letter to these people and let them know I'm on my way because the Lord has told me this. No, um, Paul wrote the book of Romans while he was in Philippi on one of his uh, journeys. And uh, not, the first, not the first one, of course, but he wrote uh, the book of Romans while he was at Philippi. And um, he still had yet to go to Corinth. After he wrote the book of book of Romans, um, no, he wrote this when he was at Corinth before he ever went to Jerusalem. I had that wrong. But in Romans one and verse eleven, he says, "For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gifts, to the end you may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me." Now I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might also have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And as I corrected myself, I have it here now in my notes. Paul actually wrote this letter when he was at Corinth, before he ever went to Jerusalem. Remember when the emotional state of Paul when he first went to Corinth? I want to contrast the, the words of comfort that the Lord gives Paul while he's in the castle in Jerusalem and the words that the Lord gave Paul when he first went to Corinth. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The words of comfort, I'll just put this out there, the words of comfort and encouragement that the Lord gave Paul in both situations did not have to do with his physical circumstances. The theme is similar in both instances. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you, save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And then notice in verse 3, I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And then I'll read this in Acts 8, verse 8. It says this about Paul when he went to, uh, when he went to Corinth. And Crispus, the chief ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his house, and many of the Corinthians believe, hearing believed and were baptized. Then spake the Lord to Paul in the night by a vision. Be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. 
And then he says once again, and here's why. He doesn't just say, be not afraid, but speak. He says, be not afraid, but speak, and hold not thy peace. Here's the reason, for I am with thee, and no man shall sit on thee to hurt thee. And he doesn't stop there. That would be comforting, but it goes beyond that. God had a reason for why he was going to protect Paul. And it wasn't just for Paul's sake. He goes on, he says, For I have much people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. And so we see that in Jerusalem, after this, in Jerusalem, when he's in the castle, the Lord comforts him and says, Be of good cheer, for you're going to testify of me in Rome. And here he says, Be not afraid. I will be with thee and I will protect you for I have much people in this city. God was going to protect him because he had people in that city that were going to be saved. God's will, the next thing I want us to point out is that God's will does not change based on circumstances. The promises of God are sure. Turn over to Acts chapter 27. I want to see what happens happens here once he finally leaves Rome. But the promises of God are sure, and they're often, the promises of God are often repeated unto us. In fact, we need to hear the promises of God repeatedly. The promises don't change. Our circumstances are all over the place, but the promises of God are sure. And with Paul, he told him the same thing again about going to Rome. There was not a chance that Paul would not make it to Rome. In Acts chapter 27, go down to verse 13. And when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurocladon. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up into the wind, we let her drive. And running under a certain island, which is called Clauda, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps, undergirding the ship, and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, struck sail, and so were driven. And we being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lightened the ship. And the third day we cast out with our own hands the tackling of the ship. And when neither sun nor stars had appeared in many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Notice what he says, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me, and have not loosed from Crete, and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. Notice that. For there shall no loss of any man's life There shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Wherefore, sirs, he says again, Be of good cheer, for I believe God, that it shall be even as it was told me. Howbeit, we must cast, be cast upon a certain island. And if you know the rest of the story, 
they did shipwreck and they ended up being on an island for three months. The message given to Paul, be of good cheer, was now being carried on to others. He's telling the others on the ship, be of good cheer. The Lord has spoken to me. I believe God. And this is what's going to happen. There is a sense in which our life, what God has done for us, what we believe about the promises of God, there's a sense that that should be passed on as well. When we do make it through the difficult times, when we've experienced the promises of God being fulfilled, when the Lord has spoken to us, we need to share that with those that are in our life. He ends up stranded for three months on the island of Melita. But he did finally make it to Rome and go before Caesar. Turn over to Acts chapter 28 and verse 16. And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him. And then go down to 30 and 31. And Paul dwelt two whole years. So he was in jail, or imprisoned, (laughs) for two years in Jerusalem. Then he has time sailing, he's shipwrecked, he ends up on an island for three months. And when he gets finally gets to Rome, he stays locked up. He doesn't have freedom to go about. And it says, and Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house. Now, if you think, well, that's not that big a deal. I mean, he's under house arrest. I'll tell you what. Why don't you try that? I know what it's like to be on an ankle monitor and have, just have, you know, you got to be back by, you got to be in your house by this time and you can't leave before this time. And... It was that way even after me and Rachel were married, and I'm telling you, that's a real pain in the neck. And there's always that thing, you know, you mess up one time, and you can't leave your house. Think about that. And that's how, that's how it was here. But Paul had it good, because it says, And Paul dwelt two whole years in his own hired house, and received all that came in unto him. Notice that this must have thrilled his heart. It wasn't so much about going out and about anymore it wasn't so much about starting churches because that wasn't the lord's will for him the lord's will for him was that he was going to go before caesar and he was doing exactly what the lord wanted him to do he was in his own hired house receiving all that came in unto him preaching the kingdom of god and teaching those things which concern the lord jesus christ and notice this with all confidence no man forbidding him And do you notice that that's how the book of Acts stops? This was a mighty act of God. The conclusion of the book of Acts. The accounts from the ascension of Christ to the day of Pentecost, to the beginnings of the spread of the gospel with Paul and Barnabas being sent out of the church in Antioch, all the persecutions of the church in Jerusalem. You think about all the accounts of the book of Acts. And... It ends with the Apostle Paul at rest in his own hired house, serving the, God, serving the Lord fully, preaching and teaching with all confidence, no man 
forbidding him. For the first time in his life, he was able to preach and to teach and not have to worry. In a small sense, he had religious freedom. (laughs) He had freedom of speech because he could say whatever he needed to say and no man could tell him to, you can't say that. No man could come and get him and beat him. No man could do anything because he had liberty to do what he needed to do. One of the greatest discouragements to older saints, remember how I started off by talking about how Paul must have been at that point in his life? As I began studying this message and thinking about this message, looking at the passage, the thought began to cross my mind that where Paul must have been at this point in his life. And I don't know how much more Paul could have been able to go and travel and keep doing and being in all those perils and keep being stoned and keep being whipped and keep doing all that. And at that point in his life, the Lord chose to continue to use him, but he did so, I mean, he he was effective. Think of all the letters that were written to the churches that were done while he was in while he was in Rome, while he's in Jerusalem, and so forth, how effective he was as a leader in the early church. And, uh, and yet his circumstance had changed. Paul's ministry was never the same after his arrest in Jerusalem. The next generation stepped up. Timothy, Titus, and so many others that we read about in his epistles picked up where he left off. Paul never started another church after he went to Jerusalem. He didn't know that when he went to Jerusalem, that he was never going to start another church. Uh, He did not pastor another church. As I mentioned, one of the greatest discouragements of older saints is when they feel they can no longer do what they did before. It's not a matter of feeling. It's, I don't feel like I can do what I used to. People reach a point where, and you might not be older, you might have had an accident, you might have had a, a sickness or or something that comes up where you just can't do what you want to do in serving the Lord. And it can be a discouragement, but it shouldn't be. It's okay. Transition can be a wonderful thing. If we only accept, the key is accept what God has for you. Accept your role. Paul accepted his new role and was greatly used of God. The Lord appeared to him in the night when he first was, he didn't know he was going to be in jail for over four years. And the Lord appeared in the night and said, be of good cheer, Paul. I'm going to continue using you and you're going to be a witness for me. And that brought Paul cheer. I believe Paul was happy serving the Lord through the rest of his days. And it was completely different than what it had been before. I do want to address the majority of most of this message today, of course, has been for the saints. But if you're, you're here today and know you're not saved, if you are unhappy with no hope of eternity, if you have no real purpose in life, if you have been convicted of the fact that you are a sinner in need of a Savior, I can tell you, be of good cheer. Yes, There's reason to be cheerful. There is good news. You don't have to stay in the same condition that you're in. Paul was in prison. He was saved. If you have never trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, 
you're a slave to your sin. You can only do one thing, and that's to sin. You cannot please God apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. This same Paul said this. The Paul we've been talking about today said this. Remember, he used to kill Christians. He used to persecute the church of God. And he said this. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. So here's one statement that you really need to grasp. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. If you're a sinner, that means you are the kind of person He came to save. He did not come to save good people. Jesus Christ did not come to save those who view themselves as good people, I should say. Jesus said, these are Jesus' own words, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. And then he says, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. If you see yourself as a sinner, if you see yourself as lost, if you admit that I know that I do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, you're the kind of person he came to save. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe that he died for your sins. There is reason to be of good cheer. Just trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and He will change your life. You will not struggle with things. I can tell you from first-hand experience that you, your life will be different. Yes. You will not struggle like you have. You can have purpose in your life. There's so much more reason for living than just living to suck as much fun out of this life as possible. That's empty. At the end of the day, it goes away. Life is short. We need hope of eternity. We need a Savior. And it's only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to go ahead and ask the musicians to come and pastor if you'll come. If the Lord's dealt with your heart and you want to, you need to talk to someone, I'm going to stay up front. There's also other people in the church that you can talk to at any time. Um, I would encourage you to come while we sing. Please stand.